Our scripture today comes from Genesis chapter 3. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. I'll give you some time to find it. At least if you laughed, you knew where it was. Also want to say thank you to the Mary Martha Circle. You may notice across the sanctuary uh, there are new Bibles, few Bibles that have been donated from Mary Martha Circle. So we thank you for those. Genesis chapter 3, we are in the season of Lent now. On Wednesday, we began Ash Wednesday and the 40-day period of Lent, not counting Sundays, where we walk with Jesus toward Jerusalem, examining it ourselves, and um, color of purple is symbol of our, the color of repentance as we prepare ourselves uh, to encounter our God and to walk with Jesus to the cross. And um, so we're asking questions like, how did we get in this mess? The cross is clearly a symbol of our salvation. It's a symbol of God's grace. But it is also a reminder that things got pretty messed up for it to take a cross to reestablish our relationship with God. How did we get in this mess? Genesis chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me and I ate. The word of the God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, 
I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A British newspaper reporter was interviewing G.K. Chesterton, who is um, an English writer, a philosopher, a theologian. And, And the question of the interview is, what's wrong with this world? What's wrong with it? And of course, when you're interviewing a philosopher, a writer, a theologian, you're expecting some elaborate answers about the issues in our world today of, of war and corrupt leadership and people's quest for power and greed and covetedness. They were expecting to hear stories about crime and the way people treat each other and wickedness. What's wrong with the world? And the philosopher thought about it for a moment and then simply said, I am wrong with the world I am I play a part in it I'm a part of what's wrong it's an interesting thing for us to think about how did we get in this mess and and what is my role in being in this mess and Genesis is an amazing book that's designed to try to help us answer some of the theological questions. Genesis was designed as a theology book, not so much a, a science book or history book, but, but a theology writing. And, and Genesis is to try to help us understand why is, why is there such a mess in our world and what is going on? What is going on? I was talking to a friend not long ago. We had just had a meeting with our security team in this church. We have several law enforcement officers in the church and from various types of uh, agencies and periodically we'll get together and we'll talk about you know how can we help the church be safer and what are some of the things that we need to do and what are we watching for and and just those kind of things and I was telling a colleague about it and friend and, and they said you know I bet you when you entered seminary you never dreamed that those would be the kind of conversations you'd be having yeah they didn't teach us that when I was in school security 101 you know, what is wrong with our world today? You pick up the newspaper, you scroll online and read the news, you turn on the news and watch what's happening in our world. You, you hear stories. It's not only global stuff, but I mean, you hear stories of parents who abuse or abandon or you know, hurt their children in some way. And you're going, I thought parents' natural instinct was to protect your kids, to give your life for your kids. What is, what's going on in our world today that, that things have gotten so messed up? Genesis is trying to help us deal with it trying to help us answer the question because, well, there was also a group of Gnostics who had an answer in biblical times. You see it here in Genesis. You see it again in the gospel according to John. You see it again in Revelation where, you know, there were some people who just kind of believed, you know what, the whole world's just a mess. The, the all of creation is just evil. The world is an evil place. Our bodies are these evil bodies and our souls somehow are trapped inside and, and we've got to figure out how to get them out. And the scripture's going, no, that's not true. Actually, when God created, according to the scripture, it was good. And when God created us, it was very good. Then if it was good and very good, how did we get in this mess? Well, Genesis 3 is to try to help us figure that out. And, and some of the lessons, there are so many lessons in Genesis 3, but some of them what we learn is like, well, there are two voices that are in the garden. 
And you have to pay attention to which voice you want to listen to. Now, the answer to that question should be pretty obvious. I mean, there's the voice of God. God created the garden. God created Adam and Eve. Now, remember, this is a story about you know, human beings, because the word Adam is the Hebrew word Adam, which means human being. So, you know, God created us and, and, and provided for us. Everything they possibly needed was right there in the garden. And God loved us so dearly, loved Adam and Eve so dearly. And, and God desired to be in a relationship with them, was regularly walking among them. The whole point of the creation was God wanted to be in relationship with his people. That was one voice. You'd think that would be the default voice, but then there was another one. There was the voice of the serpent, the voice of Satan who comes slithering up. And what's interesting about this voice is Satan could care less about the people. All he wants to do is undermine God. And and so there are two voices going on, but the challenge for us is what voice do we listen to? And part of the mess, we're told in the Scripture, that that we're in in our world today is that we have a tendency, for some odd reason, to listen to the wrong voice. And when we go out these doors and leave the sanctuary, which is known as a safe place, there will be a couple of voices out there, and we get to choose what voice we're going to listen to. And Satan's voice, well, Satan is a master of twisting God's Word. Don't you love how the very beginning of this, Satan goes, got a question for you. Did God say that you can't eat any of the trees in the garden? You can't have any of this stuff? Satan knew better. I mean, all you got to do is turn back one page to chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. The scripture says, and the Lord God commanded, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden. Isn't that a little different? You can eat of every tree. It's all yours in the garden. Except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day you eat of it, you shall die. Now Satan puts just enough spin, just enough twist on the truth to get you to question, well, what did God really say? Did God say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Well, the answer was no. We can eat of every tree in the garden, except for the one. But once you start twisting the truth, once you start twisting the scripture, all of a sudden it keeps twisting. Because Eve goes, no, God said we can eat of every tree that's here, any tree that you want, except for the tree in the middle of the garden. But then she adds something to it. Nor shall you touch it, or you'll die. It's not what God said. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. He just said, don't eat of it. But again, what Satan's gift is, is to get us, what did God really say? And then we can start twisting, well, what do you think he really meant? And pretty soon we start manipulating the word of God. And that's the first step toward failure. Started manipulating God's intent. I mean, isn't it interesting That with just a few little questions, a very brief conversation, Adam and Eve, who were created by God, placed in a garden, provided for with everything they possibly need, loved dearly by God, a God who wanted to be in relationship and regularly came among them, with just a very brief conversation, their trust in God was turned to suspicion and doubt. 
so fast. Their trust in God shifted to suspicion and doubt. Because Satan looked at them and said, you know what? You know you won't die, right? God just knows that if you eat of that, you're going to be like him. You see what Satan just did? I mean, he first started going, did God say, and he twisted God's word. But once he had them to bite, then he said, you know God's actually lying to you, right? I mean, that's what he said. You know he's lying to you, right? You won't really die. He just knows you'll be like him. And God's a little territorial. He's a little paranoid. He's a little selfish with this whole glory thing. That's what the whole problem is. And all of a sudden, you're twisting and manipulating the Scripture. And you would have thought that Adam and Eve by this point would have been able to go, that's not true. We know God. He's in the garden with us every day. Our God wouldn't do that. We trust our God. We believe our God because our God loves us dearly. But instead, they're going, you think? You think? Because we're told then she looked at him and went, you know, it does look good. And it would be great to know good and evil. Tempted to eat. And Adam and Eve ate. Now, one of the things that I think is important too is for you to realize that when you hear that second voice in the garden, Satan has no power or authority over you. Just the ability to twist and manipulate you. You have to decide whether or not you're going to listen to it. And the challenging thing, I think, for many of us Christians is, is do we know God's Word enough that we can tell when somebody's put a turn on it, a twist on it, manipulated it just a little bit? Walter Brueggemann, who is an Old Testament scholar and uh, theologian, but he shares in his commentary on Genesis, he said, you know, the other thing you can look at is there is a lot of talk about God in this story and not a lot of talking with God in this story. I mean, they didn't go, we're going to ask God about this. And one of the things Brueggemann shares is when you find yourself talking a lot of theology instead of having a genuine relationship with God, you might have a problem. When you're spending more time talking about God than you are talking with God, might be a sign. Might be a sign. But then the other thing we learn in this scripture is one of the reasons we're in the mess we're in is because we have free will. We have choice. We have the ability to make some decisions. You know, part of the thrill of being created in the image of God is the responsibility that goes along with it. And part of the blessing of being able to have free will and part of the blessing of being able to have choice is that, that we also then have the responsibility of our decisions and the consequences of our decisions. You know, there, there are some who want to, to say that, well, everything has already been predetermined, and, and I will just be honest with you, predestination would be a whole lot easier. If I could just say it's all God's fault. 
You know, that, that would be a whole lot easier. I was talking to somebody not long ago, and they had made some decisions that just were really bad decisions, and they, their life had, had gotten a little bit of a mess, and, and just, you know, one decision after another, and, and things were kind of rough. And then you, you get this statement, and, and the statement is, well, I thought this was the direction I was going to be heading, but I guess God had other plans. And, and sometimes, I, even though I'm trained as a pastoral counselor, I'm not always that good at it. Because I kind of looked over and I'm like, seriously, dude? <laughs> like, are you for real? Are, are we going to say that it's God's fault that I'm in this mess? That, that you know, I, I would have been heading this way, but, but it's God's fault. No. That's not the way it works. I have free will, but that means that I have the responsibility for my decisions and the consequences for my decisions. We have the ability to make a choice. You have the ability to choose which voice you're going to listen to. But the story also teaches us that just because we can make some choices does not mean that every choice is ours to make. Just because we can make some choices does not mean that every choice is ours to make. I mean, for example, Satan took in Genesis 2.17 what God offered as a given and tried to make it look like an option. And not everything is our choice. For example, Jesus is Lord is not my choice. God has determined Jesus is Lord. My choice is whether I will receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, but Jesus will be Lord regardless of what I decide. That's not my choice. And it's not even a choice for us to vote on. You know, all in favor of Jesus being Lord, say aye, aye. All right, Jesus, you're Lord, we voted. That's not our choice. Our choice is, do we accept it or not? Is Scripture authoritative? That's not my choice. God has said, this is my word. My choice is, will I submit to the authority of God as revealed in Scripture? But the Scripture is the word of God, whether I choose it or not. Just because I have the ability to make some choices does not mean that every choice is mine. I don't get to choose what is right, what is wrong. I get to choose, will I do what is right or will I do what is wrong? Just because some majority gets together and, and makes a decision does not mean that is truth. Truth is truth. My job and my choice is whether or not I accept it. The other thing we learn, how we get in this mess, some of the lessons from Genesis is that sin draws other people into itself. It'll draw other people into our sin. None of our sin is isolated. When I sin, it has a ripple effect. It doesn't only affect me. It'll affect my wife. It'll affect my kids. It'll affect all of you as, as people in the church. I mean, none of our sin is isolated. Our sin impacts other people. But not only that, the other lesson that we learn is we tend to pull people into our sin. We have a tendency to become the tempter. Did you catch that at first God spoke to Eve, but then God spoke through Eve to Adam? 
Sometimes God speaks direct, or the Satan will speak and tempt directly us, but sometimes Satan will come through somebody else to get to us. Sometimes the voice of the tempter sounds like the voice of somebody we love. Sounds like the voice of a friend. Sounds like a voice of someone else that we already know. I mean, if the voice came from a little cartoon figure that was in a red outfit with a pitchfork, we wouldn't listen. Sometimes the voice is disguised in a familiar voice. Our sin draws in. That's one of the reasons we're in the mess that we're in. And all of a sudden their eyes are open and they understand their shame and they're embarrassed and they're trying to cover themselves with fig leaves and hiding behind trees. And, and then they hear God coming through the garden and it's like, oh my, what are we going to do? Hide. And they hide behind a tree. Don't you love that? You're hiding behind a tree. God's coming in the garden. Where are you? And all of a sudden, Adam comes out from behind a tree. Uh, we're over here. We're, we had to hide. Um, we're naked. And God goes, how'd you know you were naked? Who told you that? Or... Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat from? And, and I love Adam's response. Now, <laughs> men, you, you all need to be careful because I've heard some of y'all step into it periodically when you try to go, well, you know, it was really Eve that got us in this mess. Because if you want to play that game, well, then the other part of the story, if you keep going, was, well, where were you as the head of the household and the spiritual leader, etc.? Because when God said, uh, what happened? Did you eat of the tree? Adam leans forward, you know, the protect, protector, the head of you know, the family unit there. Because, I mean, if you're going to play the game, you get the whole game. And he leans over and he goes, uh, Lord, it was the woman. Don't you just love that? But he's not done. Adam doesn't know when to stop. Uh, Lord, it's, uh, it's the woman that you gave me. Right? Lord, that means it's really your fault. I didn't ask for a woman. Right? I mean, sometimes my kids would go, I didn't ask to be born, you know. <laughs> of course, with my kids, I can go, I can remedy that. <laughs> Adam, you know, if you want to play the game, guys, has such integrity, he not only throws his wife under the bus, he backs it back and forth over her a couple times. And then points to God because he gave him the bus. Now, one of the things we learn is we're not really good at confessing our own sin. Adam then, or God then rather, turns around to Eve and he goes, What happened? What did you do? And she comes out from behind her tree and goes, uh, It was the snake. It's never my fault. You know, one of the things that we struggle with is confession. It's easier if it can be somebody else's fault. 
the woman you gave me. Actually, it's the woman you gave me. It was the snake. I mean, it's just amazing some of the things we come up with. Lord, I'd be a better preacher today if you didn't give me church members like these. (laughs) Really? It's never me. There's always a reason why it's not me. The season of Lent is a time for confession and examination. We're not good at it. To examine our hearts. To examine our lives. And just to be able to go, Lord, I disobeyed you. I sinned, Lord, and now I realize I'm naked and I don't know what to do about it. Can you help me, Lord? Because what I love is verse 21, if you skip on down, that says, after God removed them from the garden, because you see, there's consequences for their sins. There is a huge difference between forgiveness and consequences. I mean, we can be forgiven for our sins and still have the consequences of our decisions. But they're moved out of the garden, but God did not just say, you know what? Get out of my garden. I'm done with you people. Out, go, get out of my garden. But instead, when they're now out of the garden and they're having now to work for their living and to work to provide what God had been freely giving, and now that mortality is part of their life story now, God is still with them. And what I love in that scripture of verse 21 is, and the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife, and he clothed them. See, there was grace in Genesis. That when we messed up, God was willing to still cover our shame. You know, we have to be careful that we don't talk about Adam and Eve and point fingers at Adam and Eve because we are Adam and Eve. It's the story of us. And this cross that we have before us that we're walking to once again This cross is a reminder to us that God still never gave up on us. And this time, instead of a loincloth, it was His blood and His grace that covered our sin and shame once again. That God is still in the business of loving us so much that when we, Adam and Eve, mess up, God is still willing to cover our sin and our shame and our guilt. And He's willing to clothe us in His righteousness if we will accept it. Now that's your choice. 